So welcome to the Project Purple podcast, and today I have a very special guest, a good friend of the Project Purple family, Mr. Kevin King. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. Thank you, Dino. Happy to be here. And Kevin uh, has uh, a really inspirational story to share with you, uh, with our audience, and uh, you know, you're the reason I get up every day. Try not to get emotional today, Kevin. I, promise. I know. I know yeah. the last time we had John video it got pretty emotional. Yeah, but, it did. Um, you know, uh, Kevin's a survivor of pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer. and uh, Four and a half years now. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the statistics uh, weren't very favorable for me. You know, the five-year survival rates were always on my mind. And yeah. uh, November will be five years. So November will yeah. be five years. Yeah. If we could speed up the clock, we'd get you there. Buddy. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to speed up the clock for certain reasons. When you turn 60, it's kind of like, let's slow it down a little bit. Yeah, but for yeah. cer- certainly for this, uh, you know, every day that goes by is just, you know, it's a gift for me, you know. Yeah. You know, when I was first diagnosed, I did not have any granddaughters. Now I have four. And- Which we'll get into. Yeah. Okay. And I want to talk about that. So sure. for our audience at home, Kevin's a... Going on, we're 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 gonna round up. Mm-hmm. Five year survivor, close yeah. to five year survivor here of pancreatic cancer. Um, but tell us about the beginning, Kevin, because you got a yeah. pretty amazing story in itself from the yeah. days of uh, you know diehard baseball, New York mm-hmm. City Met. Uh, oh, you want me to go way back? Yeah, we're on way back. <laughs> all we're right, on way back. Just tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You don't have to sure. give us all the details about yeah. you know your palm day or anything. Like that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave that out. We don't. We don't want to get you in trouble here. But uh, why don't we talk a little bit about your background, and and then you can fast forward to what you do today and your your everyday job. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess to, to start at the beginning, I was born in uh, New York, Long Island, Valley Stream, uh, grew up there and went to Quinnipiac, uh, now university. It was a college at the time. And, uh, and played basketball. Played basketball there. Uh, didn't see a lot of playing time, but it was the program was starting to ramp it up in terms of trying to get to Division One. But it's a great experience for me just from a, the standpoint of... Uh, you know, teammates and, and, you know, the support you get from a group like that. And I'm still friends with a number of my teammates on Facebook and, uh, you know, that's 40 years ago. So it's, uh, it's, it's been, those people have been in my corner as well, my college teammates. So, uh, yeah, we moved to Connecticut after, uh, graduated from college, married, uh, my wife, Karen, we're married now 38 years. And, um, she is my inspiration. She keeps me uh, positive. And, you know, when I have days and, and trust me, there are days when you just kind of wake up and, you know, you get overwhelmed with the magnitude of what you're faced with. But she's been uh, right there for me the whole way. So that's been really a big part of what makes me positive, you know. Um, so I, uh, I'm a banker. I work for a bank and I work for a local community bank here in Connecticut, right up the street actually from Project Purple. And uh, I'm a commercial lender. Um, I've also had some excellent support from my employer. Uh, they've also been 
you know, receptive to my schedule and I really haven't missed much work. So I've been fortunate not to have to uh, deal with a lot of the side effects that people sometimes feel from things like chemotherapy and radiation, which I've been through. Um, in terms of um, my family, I have uh, two daughters, Jackie and Aaron, and my son, Patrick, and they're all adult children and uh, have their own families now. So I have four granddaughters and uh that there's no that, grandson in the works you gotta well understand. we're working on that yeah I'm, I'm i'm lobbying hard for it but you know <laughs> there's only so much i can do <laughs> but um they've been great i just you know enjoy visiting and they live in connecticut all of them so i'm able to see them quite a bit and being friends on facebook i i, I love seeing the pictures but they're young yeah. like yeah these, these girls are young right? well they're, they're really all... range right you just i think one of them just had it's our twins someone has yeah. twins right my oldest daughter jackie has twin girls and uh mackenzie and audrey and they are um they're, they're not identical twins yeah. but in some ways they are very much alike right. and in some ways they're completely different but it's great to watch the interaction between twins. And the twins are how old though? They're they're like one. Yeah, they they turned one in December. That's right. Uh, That's right. And then um, my oldest granddaughter is about to turn two in April. Opal. Um, and my fourth granddaughter, um, Sophia, is um, she's now nine months and walking. At nine months. Nine so months. she's going to be a handful. Yeah. So the young one's going to be the tough one. I think so. That's usually That's how the way it works. Yeah. Out, she's yeah. been watching very closely the older <laughs> ones and. Uh, She's she's getting the gist of how to get around. So well, you better, uh, Karen and yourself better get the uh, Disney movies get ready. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you guys have a library already that you've started. Yeah, the, uh, Ariel and uh, I know. Let's see uh, the the ice one that uh, that I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Frozen, frozen, yes, frozen, right? So you better get all the the ballerinas and tutus ready for four uh, girls, man. Yeah, That's absolutely. gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be awesome. Well, that's awesome, Kevin. I mean, um, you know, I, I think I remember when my brother had his daughter who was the first grandchild and really how that changed my mom and dad. And yeah. Just really special times, you know. So, uh, well, that that's great. So what I like sure. about it is because I'm, I'm a, a clown. I like to <laughs> ham it up with them and I get to stir up the hornet's nest. And, and when it's leave. time to leave, <laughs> I, I, I got somewhere to go. I think I have a root canal appointment or something I have to leave for. So... You're um, like my father-in-law. Yeah, like, yeah, my father-in-law <laughs> likes doing that with my boys. He gets them all riled up and then yeah, he leaves. And right. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, just when it's bedtime, yeah. man, I got them yeah. wired now. Yeah. You know? Wait, as they get older, then you'll be taking them to friendlies or to ice cream to sugar them up. And then you can just drop them yeah. off and leave them with mom and dad and they're all hyper. So that, that'll be the fun of it. Uh, well, that's awesome. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit and shift a little bit of the gears here and talk about, you know um, – your cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And okay. um, give us a timeline and, and just kind of your story. I mean, it's pretty pretty wild, I guess, is probably maybe the best term to use, you know, being in the position that we are where we deal with patients day in, day out. And I have to say that no one, I've never heard, I mean, yeah, like people have similar symptoms, but the way that people find out yeah, um, or the actual moment that they are diagnosed is like a complete 180, which is really fascinating and, and somewhat baffling. I say fascinating because no one seems to go down the same path mm -hmm. with this disease. 
Um, but it's also frustrating, I think, from the medical perspective, because I have talked to doctors and you talk to families and, you know, yeah, we all experience this thing called pancreatic cancer, but the way my dad went down that road is totally different than what other families have experienced. I mean, yeah. symptomatic, yeah, maybe, you know, jaundice, yeah, no kidding, you know, and like that's that's the obvious, right? But how do you get to that point where you are diagnosed um, is really fascinating to me, yeah. I think. And that's something that we've got to do a better job as a community mm -hmm. um, of letting people know about those situations, but then also from a science standpoint of identifying those so that I think people, so I would love to hear, you know, your experience. Yeah. Well, mine was, um, my oncologist and the surgeon who performed my Whipple procedure, uh, to this day are really amazed at the fact that I identified, uh, just by feeling a stomach cramp really is what I had back in, uh, November of 2013. Um, right around the time Thanksgiving, I, I felt just, uh, sort of a fluttering feeling in my, in my stomach and it was not going away. You know, it wasn't something that I felt like, well, okay, it's just going to pass. So, uh, after. And you were active at the time, right? Oh was yeah. No, I, I you know, I, I was never in a else. hospital yeah. for myself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was, I was in hospitals obviously to visit other people, but yeah. I went through 56 years of my life without having ever been in the hospital for myself. So, and, and I've been to the, you know, I go to the doctor every year for a checkup and my health is good. Uh, my health is ex excellent, actually. You know, I'm, I'm active, um, not as active today as I was four years ago or five yeah. years ago. But uh, so the cramping I felt triggered a, you know, I should go to the doctor. And I went to my primary care doctor and she advised me that she felt it was uh, good, uh, a good idea to have a... Um, uh, endoscopic biopsy. Uh, well, first it was a, um, what's the word? Endoscopic ultrasound. Well, uh, ultrasound, yeah. right. Thanks. Uh, so I had an ultrasound done and she saw something in the ultrasound that, um, led to, uh, an endoscopic biopsy of my pancreas. And so between November and December of 2013, I went through a series of tests and things like that. And, was finally diagnosed sometime around Christmas in 2013. And, you know, it was a tough time of year to try to break this kind of news to your kids and, and friends. And so we kept it, Karen and I just kept it to ourselves until we got through New Year's. And then, you know, right after New Year's, we, we sat my um, family down and, and told them what the diagnosis was. And the first time, you know, you hear the term, everybody knows it, you know, it's, it's, not a great cancer to have. I mean, there's no good cancer, but this is one of the most deadly. And so mm -hmm. the feeling I had was, you know, I need to just focus on myself right now and just make sure that I get the best treatment possible. And, uh, I, I went to Yale, uh, and I'm, I'm being treated. Actually, I have a treatment next Thursday. So I, I still have treatments for chemotherapy every other week. And, uh, I've been through probably somewhere around 30 treatments over the past four and a half years and also radiation. Um, and I had the Whipple procedure, which fortunately, uh, not everybody's uh, qualified to have Whipple procedure. So my pancreas, uh, the, the head of the pancreas was where the tumor was uh, found and it was uh, diagnosed to be 
receptacle. So uh, it was something that they felt they could uh, they could surgically remove, but it required some chemotherapy in order to shrink the tumor away from the artery that was right next to the, the pancreas. So the, the surgeon, um, Dr. Ronald Salem, performed the Whipple procedure for me in uh, July of 2014 after I had, I think it was 12 cycles of chemotherapy. It shrunk the, the tumor away from the um, the uh, artery sufficiently enough that he felt comfortable in doing the surgery. It was a nine-hour procedure, and my wife said, you know, when she came in to see me in Dr. Salem, he looked worse than I did because, you it's know, a it's a nine-hour. Yeah. It's a, Yeah, it's a marathon and then some. And uh, I but, saw a fascinating, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I think someone just shared something the other day, and it was a picture of uh, surgeons on a Whipple, and I don't know. Um, how much entail they gave you, but it was literally about 20 people in the OR, you know, so it, was, mm. it wasn't, you know, anything graphic, but it was just a picture of the doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists, you know, the whole staff there. Right. So, so you know, people say, always say, and, this, and it was really fascinating to me, like my dad had the Whipple. I think, I don't know if I ever told you that. And I remember, yeah, yes. it's like a nine hour marathon. You know, yeah. and I, I've met so many surgeons that do them and they all say it's like a marathon, you know, it's yeah. like a whole, I mean, these guys, you know, it's a, it's, you got to start super early, you know, right. timing and everything, but it never really, like it never thought about like, okay, yeah, you have the surgeon in there and I know the complications of it because it's, you know, for where they need to get and that's right. why it takes so long and then what they have to do. So it never clicked with me. Like, yeah, you need, a lot of people in the room. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just a doctor, the right. anesthesiologist, maybe two nurses. I mean, there's probably a lot. I know from talking to one of our uh, surgeons, you know, sometimes there's residents in there, you know, yeah. and the residents do some stuff or, you know, other surgeons within the group. So there's a lot of like, I wouldn't say tag teaming, but I'm sure yeah. there's some things, some procedurally, uh, especially at learning hospitals. Not to say this is a bad thing, folks, but it just doesn't take one doctor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a whole team of staff. But this picture was just so fascinating. And it was like from the, you know, usually sometimes these ORs have those observation right. decks, right? Yeah. So it was from the top. And there, there had to be 15 to 18 people scrubbed up in the OR sure. working on this patient for the procedure. So it's just so fascinating. And like that hit me. And, and like, yeah, we talk about this. And this is... You know, the thing with this disease, like, yeah, there's only one in five are operable for the Whipple, but it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's nine hours. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and sometimes it can go longer with complications or, you know, with, with something other, you know, other things that pop up there. But for the general public out there to really understand, you know, like this is a big deal. There's a ton of people. Well, it's a whole involved. reconstruction yeah, of your abdomen. It's not yeah. just going in no, and snipping. Just snipping it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a complete reconstruction yeah. of your whole food chain and, mm -hmm. and when they marginalize everything and how not to get super technical, but you know, and, and where the tumor sits too. And if it's close to the artery, there can be challenges and issues and reconstructions. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, I think for the common public to take anything away, yeah. like, this is a big, big deal. Someone told me, and I don't know if this is true, but they were saying like this is like one of the most complex surgeons or surgeries, I should say, yeah. that is performed by the medical community. I mean, I'm sure naturally there's other surgeries that can last, but from a typical 
you know, not that this is typical, but from cancer related, mm -hmm. you know, maybe brain, I guess, you know, I, I don't know because the brain can be really complex, but yeah, I know it's a lot easier to get to the brain. Well, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, pancreas, obviously the brain right? is a more complex organ, yeah. but the position of where the pancreas is in your abdomen Correct. makes it, you know, a real challenge for any surgeon. Yeah. Uh, but we, we chose Yale because I really hit it off well with Dr. Salem yeah. the first couple of times I met with him. He does just Whipple. I mean, that's his specialty. There's no, you know, this isn't a part-time job for him. No. He's a dedicated that's Whipple procedure. That's all he procedure. does. And he's that's a phenomenal he uh, doctor. We've, yeah. uh, we've met and talked to him in the past and uh, we've had plenty of patients go through there. I think one of uh, the gentlemen you met... Uh, Ron, Ron, yeah, sure. The, he's also right. a patient of, of Doctor uh, Salem. Salem's as yeah. well. So, and he's doing, you know, he's in the same boat as you are. So you guys right. are, you guys are in good company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there were, I think, fifteen or twenty people in the room. Yeah. I think, you know, because Yale is a teaching hospital, yeah, so okay. there were a lot of interns. And I think it was around the time when Quinnipiac was playing Yale in the Frozen Four in hockey, oh, yeah. and. Um, or, or they may have just played or, and, and uh, you know, I know a lot of them were from Yale Yeah. and I just wanted to make sure that they were going to take good care of me. The fact that I was a Quinnipiac <laughs> grad wasn't going to impact well, I anything. I thought you were going to say you put on like <clears throat> Quinnipiac boxers maybe or something, you know. No, you I didn't want to go that far. <laughs> maybe right, go, go uh, Bobcats <clears throat> on your, uh, on your stomach there yeah. before that incision is made. <laughs> yeah. It was a little intimidating to see that crowd though. I will be honest with you before I went under and they, the anesthesia anesthesiologist uh you know put me under i was sort of looking around the room going do you really need this many people but yeah. uh, you know it's a procedure that they feel obviously has benefit to students so yeah oh yeah the more the merrier i guess and then that's also something that's really fascinating too kevin is you know naturally at these learning institutions like a yale or a columbia or nyu versus a, a dedicated surgical center you have a lot of that going on and right you know the hope is naturally that and, and this is something really that excuse me when i talk to scientists i always ask them like why did you get into pancreatic cancer I know what my motivation was. Sure. Um, you know, and it's really fascinating. And one of the science, one of the doctors that I talked to said it was like his first week through rotation and they were like, all right, you're going to sit through a Whipple. And he just was like, he, he said it was it. That was it. Mm. He said the challenge of it, you know, he's like, he just sold them. He was just sold on being a GI oncologist, surgical sure. oncologist, you know? So it's, you know, so being able, you know, looking back, I'd wonder, you know, who in that room you know, having the surgery, you inspired possibly, right. you know, yeah. of going yeah. through it. So it's, it's pretty, I hope wild, so. You yeah. know, to think that a little bit, you know, that's right. That does happen. That this, this might've been their first experience yeah. in, in an OR for this type of procedure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, sure it was for some of them. And it'd be fascinating to go back to them and just see like, Hey, where I am right now, hmm. you know, and that's hopefully, as I have always said, it's the reason why I get up in the morning you yeah. know, for more people like you and yourself. So, uh, Hopefully that's happening. I'm sure it is. They're they're special people. It's it's great that there are people who have. I mean, I I could never do what they do. I'm not yeah. into, you know, I'm not afraid of blood, but yeah. you know, the the concept of taking someone's you know body apart and trying to put it back together again is just so beyond what I do. And yeah. Thankfully, there's people that have the talent to do that. that. Yeah. 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 True. True. Um, so you go through the Whipple. 
you go through chemotherapy. <clears throat> and I know there was a gap there, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, for a while where you were doing pretty well. Oh, you yeah. have to do treatments or anything. I went every three months for a scan for, for a full year from July of 14 through the summer of 15. And then uh, they put me on a six-month uh, scan regimen because um, of the results. So yeah. I was really considered... I don't know if there's such a thing as being cancer-free, but NED, right? No evidence of disease. They felt uh, that it would be appropriate to, you know, come every six months. Mm -hmm. So I did. And and after that six-month lapse, uh, it was really really a year and a half that I didn't really think about cancer as much as I had because I thought, well, you know, I could be free of this, you know? And then uh, I had a recurrence. It was a slight recurrence, but they felt it would be appropriate to treat me with uh, the same uh, solution of poison, basically, because that's what chemotherapy is. But it, uh, And I responded so well to it uh, before the surgery when they were trying to shrink the tumor. that uh, So I went back on the same uh, regimen and I uh, was on that for um, probably about another... S- six weeks, I think it was six to eight weeks. And it showed some progress. And uh, I was again, cancer free for several months, I think it was six months or so. And uh, a scan showed some spots in my lung, which was really alarming, because that that indicated that there might be some, uh, you know, that may have metastasized. And that's never a word you want to hear as a survivor. And so I've been going for a routine of treatments uh, for chemotherapy now. Uh, they treated the uh, the uh, lung uh, spots with radiation, mm-hmm. and that uh, took care of it. It was gone when they did the next scan. They showed no evidence in the lung anymore. So, and that's been the case right up to today. So at this point, where I am today is uh, I'm. I'm on what they call a maintenance regimen mm-hmm. for um, just making sure that um, nothing continues to uh, grow mm-hmm. inside the. It's basically the abdominal uh, surgery surgery area where the Whipple mm-hmm. procedure was done is where the uh, cancer recurred. So uh, it's an area that never I never had it in my body until after. The Whipple procedure, you have this void that's yeah. created, and that's that's where the uh, recurrence was. So at this point, I'm just following doctor's orders. I feel great. Um, I, I I don't. Uh, I'm a realist. I understand that this is something I may have to deal with for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. but I'm ready to do that because it's worth living. You know. So you know the alternative isn't good. So I keep going and. They keep telling me I'm doing great. They can't believe that I don't have the side effects. And, you know, I guess I'm, I can thank my parents or good genes or whatever it is. And the good Lord, of course, for, you know, giving me the strength and the ability to withstand some of the torture that some chemotherapy patients deal with, you know, as yeah. far as the side effects. But I, I have to say, Kevin, since I've known you, I don't think I've ever heard you complain ever. Well, you know about uh, you, about this. this. I hear you complain about the Mets. 
Oh, quite of often. course, all the time. <laughs> There's plenty to complain about. <laughs> but when it comes to uh, going, getting treatment and, um, you know, I, I've never, uh, you've never, and we're friends on Facebook and you've never posted anything like, ah, here I go again. I yeah. got to go back and yeah. going to Yale to, for another round, you know, um, it's been nothing but positive. The, the the first time I met with um, Dr. Lacey at Yale, uh, Smilo, she I asked her the question. I said, "What can I do?" Because she told me what they could do. Yeah. Uh, and and you know I understood that I was going to uh, have the Whipple procedure and chemotherapy and maybe radiation at that time. And when I asked her what I could do, she said, "Just be positive." Sounds easy. It's not always easy because it's a crippling disease. Uh, but, uh, I've been following her instructions and, uh, you know, that's kind of my way anyway. I, I try to look at things in a positive way because the alternative is, uh, you just sort of wallow in, you know, sadness and that's not healthy, you know, because your mental well-being always affects your physical well-being. And, by being positive, I think my body's res responded to that in a good way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And that's something that uh, I think we have tried to preach from the very beginning um, in a very negative situation, for me at least, for losing my dad, to try to do something really positive about it. And naturally, the disease itself needed more support. But how we go about doing that, um, we've always tried to be positive and, you know, running has played such a big part, right? So, sure. you know, having people finish marathons and half marathons mm -hmm. is pretty special in itself. Um, but having it done in a positive way and now with CrossFit and so many other things that we're doing, um, again, being positive about it versus, you know, the latter of saying, oh shit, you know, here we yeah. go again. Um, you know, there's something that, uh, that you said earlier that I, I made a note here and, and, you know, being friends with you on Facebook and, and seeing some of the stuff, it's just really, I get kind of giggly here because it's just great to share with the audience because I think it's really important. And you mentioned Karen hmm. and I know you said she's been your rock through all this, but I think there's something else that's been really special through this. And I, I feel like I've been fortunate to see it as a spectator from the outside, but this camaraderie of friends. Yeah. So talk to our audience a little bit about that because I think that's really important, you know, and I always tell people no one should ever go to the doctor alone. And mm -hmm. If you can, you know, um, if it's a spousal situation, bring a, a son or a daughter or a good friend because I remember for my mom and my dad, that first time we went and I went to everything for my dad, you know, my mom's thinking like, how am I going to live without this guy? Right. My dad's thinking, how am I going to, what am I going to do is make sure my, everyone knows how to mow the lawn, you know, mm -hmm. take care of everything in the house. And that third person's kind of the person that's standing there, you know, so you always have your network, you know, and, and yeah. you need, you need people like that. So talk to us a little bit about your, this, this yeah. amazing network. Well, I, I have, I've seen it first, you know, yeah. from the birthday celebration, the pictures, right. which is pretty special. And you didn't know anything about that. Uh, no, I didn't know anything about that. And what, Karen uh, is what you're referring to, to <laughs> is uh, my 60th birthday in August. Uh, they surprised me with a trip to um, the Hamptons. And there were, I think, a total of, there might have been 20 of my friends, couples that I, they're, they're really neighbors from Cheshire that just over the years have become friends. Our connections are the schools and our children, and now they're all older and 
we just stayed friends. And uh, now we're at the point, a lot of us are empty nesters. So we have the flexibility to travel. Yeah. So we always take, uh, we just got back actually from yeah, the cruise say, you just yeah, got back two weeks ago. I was in the Caribbean. Came um, back just in time for the snowstorm. Though. Yeah, we came back the day before the blizzard, the uh, <laughs> nor'easter number one. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, we were kind of hoping while we were down there that we'd come back and there'd be like spring flowers when we showed up, but <laughs> no. no such luck. Good luck there. Uh, but this group that I actually... Um, Tomorrow night, St. Patrick's Day, uh, we'll have 24 people at our house for our annual St. Patrick's Day celebration. And we host it every year. We've done it for probably 10 years now. And uh, it's kind of a – just everybody likes it because it's it's like the end of winter, okay? We, we have to call it sometime. Yeah. And we're calling it, okay? Because uh, – There's one coming in Tuesday. There's I know. I know. Well, I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced Tuesday, yet on Wednesday, that one. Wednesday, I think, now. European but, model has it pushing out. I have uh, had company for the chemo treatments, uh, friends that have come up and, and kept me company, uh, you know, entertain me. They're, they're just a great group of fun, loving people who, you know, really have been uh, just like brothers and sisters to me because they, they've become that close to me. And, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit when I go to Smilo and I see some of the my co-patients who are going through, you know, what I'm going through, and I see them alone, you know, because, you know, cancer can be a lonely thing. And if you have friends and you have a network, and I do, I mean, Project Purple is just one of many networks that I have that help me, you know, get through day to day. And But my friends that you're referring to have been you know, just an increasing level of support every step of the way. You know, nobody's backed down. It's been, what can I do for you? You know, they'll bring over food or they'll, you know, volunteer for, I'm involved with the Cheshire uh, Half Marathon and they all come to help me with the parking duties and traffic control and things like that. It, I never even have to ask them. I mean, they, they call me and say, when is the marathon this year? So, I can help you out with the, uh, you know, the, the parking duties, and uh, that's the kind of group they are. So I'm really lucky and thankful that I have the friendships that I have because they, they are just, you know, like I said, they're family to me. It's pretty special, and again, from uh, being able to see it from my standpoint and some of the pictures from that birthday celebration i think you guys lit off some luminaries we did yeah which was uh i think that was probably one of the the most touching pictures i saw and, and naturally everyone had the project purple shirts we all had the, the purple shirts said, yeah kevin kevin's 60th, 60th birthday yeah birthday, yeah which is pretty special so uh and, and they as a, a group surprise. as a group they also uh i didn't want birthday presents because you know what do you need at this point if i can't drink it or eat it i don't want <laughs> I was it so, say Guinness. <laughs> so they they took care of that part of it in addition they all made a group contribution that's right Right. Um, I think it was for two thousand seventeen dollars, yeah, which in just your, in by, your honor, it yeah. was the you know year, and yeah, in my honor. So that was really special that they did that, and uh, I'm I'm sure the police department in Amagansett wasn't appreciative <laughs> of the fact that we were lighting off luminaries in the yeah, sky. I don't know but if that's that's regulatory, but we won't say. Anything. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, nobody got hurt, yeah, and it was a hurt. really special they weekend. They're biodegradable. Yes, paper, they were yeah. right, and it was near the water, yeah, so. so that uh, but that was a uh, um, fabulous, and I know you were involved in that, Dino, and uh, yeah, and, and I wasn't it. bringing that up for I, I just um, you know I think it's been really, really cool 
from my perspective, Kevin, and I'm friends with a lot of people and not bragging, but you know, you see, you know, um, your friendship network. And, and so that was the first story. And then the second story was when we had one of your friends, if you remember the story, the guy had sent us a small check. Right. And I had the conversation with him and he's like, I haven't seen Kevin in 20 years. That's Steve Sweeney. Yeah. And, a friend from high school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he went to high school with you. Right. And it was just really, I was really blown away by the words that he had to say about you. And he was like, yeah, we're going to dinner in like a month. And, you know, and I think with social media, it kind of has ruined that. I always say it, it's ruined the high school reunion because yeah. you see everyone, you're connected with everyone, you know, right. everyone's kind of backs somewhat, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like it depends on what people post. Not everyone posts what they're doing and pictures of their family and everything all the time. But for the most part, it's not like, hey, oh, wow, Kevin, you know, like, you know, some of the things that have happened in someone's life. But it was just really fascinating to me, to hear this guy speak about you, and he's like, "Yeah, I haven't seen him in twenty years. I think right. twenty years." Yeah, he said easily. Then you guys were having dinner, like that's right, in the month or two. Yeah, so it's just really, really special. And I think you know, um, you know, I've said this uh, to you. I think you know, um, you know, being positive. You know, mm. and I think you, my mom used to say. You know, you kill more bees with honey than you do with a fly swatter, I think Absolutely. is the analogy, you know, yeah. or, or or with vinegar, right? So I think as as people, if you're a positive person, you're going to attract people yeah. around you and people are going to want to be with you. Um, you know, that's like kind of like an ancillary benefit of being positive is hopefully mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot of friends, right? But sure. I think there's, you know, life, like you're a prime example. Kevin, you got dealt a, a bad hand, mm. right? But you dealt with it in a very positive way right? where you could have gone and, you know, crawled up in a, in a corner and drank Guinness yeah. until, no. you know, until it was over. But yeah. But that's not, not that's not that. the way I deal with things. No. I, I, I deal with things that are as serious as what this is in a, in a way that makes that, that has a solution at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be uh, affecting this in a negative way. So I, I had a rally of friends, as you as you mentioned, and uh, yeah, I did some things that were probably a little bit impulsive when I first got the news. I you know took care of some financial things I wanted to, and some other matters that you know were kind of like okay, death is looming. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that my family's not burdened with these types of you know um, lingering issues or whatever they are. So, you know, in hindsight, <clears throat> I probably um, assumed maybe that I may not make it to five years, you know, um, but I, you know, I don't regret it because at the time I felt I really wanted to do those things and I'm not being specific about it, but, mm. you know, they were just things that you wouldn't normally do that when you get the kind of news that I got triggered action that... Um, was a little scary because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to um, concede to defeat. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I didn't want to be surprised or surprising my family with something at the end, you know. So. Well, you a realist. Yeah, realist. You have to be. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to. Um, you know, and this is a very <clears throat> uh, serious subject. It's a very serious thing, and. You, I think you have to be realistic about it. This yeah. is a very serious thing, um, but you also have to be positive about it because you, you can't 
I think you can. You can that you can make a difference for yourself, for your family, for others. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can, like I said, sit in a corner and just you know wallow away in sorrow. Right. You know, which right. doesn't really do anyone any good. No, and it affects your your physical well being too. Yeah. As I said, I think my body has responded to the positivity. You know, I feel good. I I, I don't miss work. I've never missed work except for the time, the days I have to go in for chemotherapy. Other than that, I don't think I've had a sick day. I've never had the flu. So my body's responded positively. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with attitude. So it's amazing for our listeners at home to to realize like the power of positivity, the power of, you know, a healthy attitude. And it sounds obvious, you know, almost too obvious. I mean, why wouldn't you be positive? But it's not that easy to do because every day, you know, you wake up and you kind of go, oh, well, maybe it's a dream. Maybe, you know, this isn't really happening. And then you look at the scar on your abdomen and you go, oh, well, no, yeah, it did happen. happen. Yeah. That's pretty powerful stuff. Hmm. So I've got a couple of questions for you. <clears throat> Relating to your whole experience, and you may have said it, but I want to ask the question, what's changed for the better since being diagnosed hmm. with pancreatic cancer? Well, I think uh, an appreciation for just small things. And again, that's also maybe a little bit, you know, common sense and obvious, but um, we all go through our day and you get caught up in things, whether it's something on the news, politics, or something at work. And there's uh, plenty to get caught up. Oh, yeah. I mean, with not, I'm not trying to make this a political rant by any means or whatever, but I think with technology and social media. Sure. There's goods and bads. Mm-hmm. But I think the bad thing that's happened is it's so easy to get caught up because the news happens so right. instantaneous. That's Where right. Years ago, I mean, it would probably take weeks or days, right? You know, for things to come out. Sure. So I think that the single most um, significant, you know, the aspect of my life that's changed has been just taking day by day an appreciation for everything that goes on. Uh, there's little things that go on that don't bother me anymore. Uh, you know, I, I don't the get Mets flustered. Losing. The Mets losing. <laughs> yeah. You always bring up the Mets. <laughs> We're in base. But We're almost that's true. Training, We're almost so, there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I also have a, a greater appreciation for um, my health because I was always in good shape. I, I always felt like, you know, my my... I didn't smoke. I didn't drinking was social, and uh, you know it, it was just you know kind of a surprise that somebody who could be in such good health for so many years just suddenly gets this. And you know it happens to everybody. I mean, obviously there are certain behaviors that can make cancer more likely, but uh, in my case, I didn't really have any of those risk factors. But um, I have a greater appreciation for what I eat. My diet has changed because of the fact that I have a smaller stomach now, which isn't a bad thing because at 60, having a small stomach is a good thing. Uh, But, you know, I'll eat uh, smaller portions more often. And I think that helps with my digestion, with my new, you know, the, the plumbing that I have now in my abdomen is, you know, a little more sensitive to certain types of foods. So that's helped me, uh, diet correctly and you know i'm trying to be more active as i can when i'm not tired from a treatment but overall i think uh, those are the two things you know just 
uh, have an appreciation for the little things in life and, uh, and watching my health more carefully. Do you meditate at all? Uh, if I like call it meditation, yeah, I, I, you know, meditation is, I, I don't think the traditional meditation is, but, uh, do I do some deep thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, a lot. Um, a lot of times I'll just go for a walk and I don't distract myself with music or anything like that. I just, you know, sort of focus on what my plan is, you know, some things relating to work, some things relating to my family, my health, uh, just, you know, getting myself psyched up for whatever is in front of me. So do you do that on a daily basis? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much every morning. I try to do that. Good way to start the day. Yeah. You know, kind of clears your head and lets you, uh, you know, plan and, and not, um, put yourself in a position of being surprised by things. Yeah. Well, I agree. I I mean, I work out, I try to work out every morning early and that's something that becomes like your routine, your ritual. Um, I think it's just critical. Like when I don't get it, I'm real crabby Mm -hmm. (laughs) and days that I don't get the opportunity, whether it's weather related or just travel or something like that. So I think that's just really important for everyone, regardless of what activity it is. Yeah. But to find that space of just clearness. And one thing that I've started to do is just, um, you know, turn everything off mm-hmm. late at night or early at night, depending, and then don't turn anything on until I'm done working. Out. Right. I do you the know? same thing. I don't that, that, check social yeah. media, email, yeah. anything first thing in the morning. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear about yeah. it. I want to just do this and do that. Yeah. Um, eat breakfast and then I'll, you know, connect to the world. Yeah. You know? And scientifically, I've read studies where, you know, that's like, people's most productive time is in that right. first two hours of them waking up and what you do is so critical to the rest of the day. So, yeah. you know, hopping on social media or getting on your phone right away is so counterproductive to it what you, you know, to be, you know, productive for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, what's something, it could be one thing that you miss <clears throat> from prior, from mm-hmm. not being diagnosed mm-hmm. that you don't have right now. And this is a tough question. Yeah, it's probably um, my workout regimen because I don't have the same level of energy uh, that I used to have. You know, you are I, older. Yeah, that that factored into yeah. it too. I mean, I was slowing down a little bit at fifty, but I was still playing basketball. I was running. I was playing golf a lot. Of, I still play golf, oh, but yeah. you know, the the other things that I was doing, I I don't have the same level of energy to do. It's just yeah. a little frustrating. Because your body's changed a little yeah. bit. You know, I've lost some muscle mass in my arms and legs. I can see that, you know, and it doesn't give me the strength to, to do what I used to do. Yeah. So, you know, I hope maybe that will come back to me. But, you know, I'm being a realistic about it because, you know, as you turn 60, things start to, you know, you don't have the same muscle structure. And, uh, yeah. but, you know, I'm, I'm replacing it with other things uh, that are positive. Like, you know, we, we have a bunch of guys at the same group that <laughs> I'm friends say, with. Yeah. We play cornhole and the we cornhole. have, so, you know, there's not a lot of and exercise going in there. Though. Oh yeah. I we, tell you, I, I've, you guys, you called and said, so we had this cornhole tournament and, the fall of 17. Yeah. And you said, Hey, we've got eight boards. You need any boards? And I was like, no, I think we're good. Yeah. Who has eight boards? Who has eight boards? These guys must be serious. Guys have eight boards. And then just watching you guys play. Yeah. Like it was a fun time. We had food trucks. We had, 
there were beers, there was adult beverages, right? And everyone was having a good time. But you guys are serious. Yeah, like, I know when that when the teams were I, like there was no goofing around. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of strategy going on, and and it was very serious. I know we were giving away a set of custom boards, but right, right. But I think you guys got to the finals or the semifinals. Uh, yeah, well, one of my neighbors, the two yeah. of them, got to the finals. Yeah, or yeah. lost in the finals. Yeah. Yeah, you guys take it serious. I thought it was just going to be like a, you know, I wouldn't say hacks, but, you know, yeah. these people that just like socially play. You guys. And, and you a lot of these guys play. were guys that we played basketball with, you know, five or 10 years ago <laughs> <That's funny. clears throat> that, like me, have decided, you know what, I don't want to get hurt, yeah. you know, and let's, let, let's try something that's not going to hurt play us. Cornhole. Can't get but hurt the same hole. competition level yeah, yeah. still applies. <laughs> intensity still there. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kevin, what advice for our listeners at home? And you know, this is, this goes out to the general public. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and we're on Google Play. So, for any of our listeners out there, let's say for someone who's just been recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, what yeah. advice would you give them? Hmm. Well, first of all, I would say trust your body. Nobody knows your body as well as you do, and I did, and it saved my life because early diagnosis in the case of pancreatic cancer, as you know, is a significant con- you know contributor to uh, a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. If I if I ignored the cramping and and that butterfly in my stomach sensation that I had, and I might have done that ten years prior because I, I might have had too much going on in my life mm-hmm. to to go to the doctor, but I didn't this time, uh, and that helped put me on a course to potentially be cured. And so that would be number one, I would say, is just don't dismiss even something that you think is... Agita uh, or like yeah, just it, acid reflux. Hey, like I had I had an extra, you know, I had a beer last night with my dinner and it was a Guinness and I don't usually drink Yeah, Guinness. or, you know, a Not spicy... Guinness as an example, but... Yeah, but, you know, a burrito or something yeah. like that that yeah. you don't, you know, what, whatever it is, if it doesn't pass within a day or two, you know, that, uh, especially if you're in your 50s and 60s, you've had enough data statistically in your life to to recognize what's normal and what's not normal so if you if you see some if you feel something that is not normal you should act on it um i did and i would just urge the listeners to not dismiss it because you may regret it too many people put things off uh, because of life gets in the way but uh, in order to prolong your life sometimes you need to take a step back and Take care of yourself. Um, when you're diagnosed, I'll go back to what my oncologist told me originally, and that is try to find a way to build yourself in a positive way. You know, surround yourself with positive people. Mm-hmm. Get the best uh, surgeon you can if you're if you're facing Whipple, um, and you know, uh, have a value system that promotes the, um, the the solution and trying to get through the uh, the daily regimen of, of dealing with um, what could be significant side effects that you might face. Uh, not everybody deals with these treatments the same. Everybody has a different DNA. So I'm lucky I don't have a lot of side effects. But for those that do, I say, you know, you just have to um, try to get yourself a support system that helps you Deal with those side effects. No one should fight alone. That's a big part of it is having a company. Yeah. If you're alone, uh, 
um, your thoughts are, you know, you can get tied up in negativity, I think, more, more likely than if you had other people's uh, opinions. What would you say, and this is more of a life question, what is the greatest thing that you've earned in life, either bought or learned, that has cost you the least? Hmm. This is a tough one, but it's a good one, I think. Hmm. We've asked this question multiple times on this podcast, and it's always very interesting to hear the response. Um, uh, I would say my marriage, but my wife, (laughs) because my wife has a tendency to shop on the discount rack, so that has cost me the least. uh, And and but truthfully, I think uh, that is probably the most. influential um, point of my life is when uh, I had I had lost my both my brother and sister uh, when they were teenagers to um, they had they both had a heart uh, problem uh, and they died four years apart and my brother who died in 1978 uh, you know, it was really hard for me. He was four years younger than me. He had myocarditis, and it was just something that came on suddenly. He died overnight. Um, so I was going through a real tough time, and I was dating my wife at the time at college, and we got married the next year, and she was very important to me because she helped me get through a really hard time losing my brother four years after losing my sister and leaving me as an only child. So... Um, that was probably the most valuable um, point of my life is, you know, meeting Karen. Karen, yeah. She was Quinnipiac. Mm-hmm. She was a cheerleader. See, I sat on the bench. It's always those And she was on the other side. So we got to look at each other a lot. <laughs> I didn't get into the game too many times. So uh, <laughs> you got to be careful those cheerleaders, man. That's right. They're good ones. They're good ones. Yes, they my are. wife was on the dance team. So it was kind of the opposite, Kevin, when the <laughs> dance team would go out and I'd be sitting on the bench and I could see my wife from, you know, the, the around the huddle and then coming yeah. back in the huddle and then walking off. But yeah, um, well, kind of ironic that she was a cheerleader because she's stayed that way. Right through this. That's the, you, you summed it up perfectly. Well, thank you, Kevin, for your story of inspiration and positivity. And I think for our listeners at home, hopefully, um, I know I've learned, now this is our second time doing mm-hmm. a formal interview. I've learned so much more about you as a person, not about your story, but as a person than I have uh, since the first time we did this. So almost about a year, a little bit over a year ago, I think That's it right. was. Um, so it's kind of kind of airy timing, you know, it's right, right around the same time, just a different format. And so hopefully our listeners at home can take a lot away from what you shared with them today. So thank you for allowing us to share your story with our audience on our podcast. Very welcome. And thank you for being who you are and continuing to fight and continue to kick cancer's butt. Um, and you'll continue to do that. I firmly believe that. Count so, on it. Yep. Thank you, boss. Thanks, Dino. Appreciate thank it. You.